got trouble? How much trouble? Well, now, don't you frown. Just knuckle down and knock on wood. Who's unhappy? How unhappy? Uh-oh, that won't do. When you are blue, just knock on wood. Who's unlucky? How unlucky? But your luck will change if you'll arrange to knock on wood. Who's got nothing? How much nothing? Say nothing's not an awful lot, but knock on wood. Rap a tap on the table. Tap your feet on the floor. Come on now, get this right out of your system. Say, ain't you feeling better than before? Well now, now who's happy? Just how happy? That's the way we're gonna stay, so knock on wood. Now who's lucky? Just how lucky? Well, smile up then, and once again, let's knock on wood. The Dead End of Western Civilization by Douglas Haddow. We've reached a point in our civilization where counterculture has mutated into a self-obsessed aesthetic vacuum. So while hipsterdom is the end product of all prior countercultures, it's been stripped of its subversion and originality and is leaving a generation pointlessly obsessing over fashion, faux individuality, cultural capital, and the commodities of style. I'm sipping a scummy pint of cloudy beer in the back of a trendy dive bar turned nightclub in the heart of the city's heroin district. In front of me stand a gang of hippie-ish grunge punk types who crowd around each other and collectively scoff at the smoking laws by sneaking puffs off fuck you, reveling in their perceived rebellion as the haggard, staggering staff look on without the slightest concern. The DJ is keystroking a selection of MP3s off his MacBook, making a mix that sounds like he took a hatchet to a collection of yesteryear billboard hits, from DMX to Dolly Parton, but mashed up with a jittery techno backbeat. So, this is a hipster party? I ask the girl, sitting next to me. She's wearing big dangling earrings, an American apparel v-neck tee, non-prescription eyeglasses, and an inappropriately warm wool coat. Yeah, just look around you. 99% of the people here are total hipsters. Are you a hipster? Fuck no, she says, laughing back the last of her glass before she hops off to the dance floor. Ever since the Allies bombed the Axis into submission, Western civilization has had a succession of counterculture movements that have energetically challenged the status quo. Each successive decade of the post-war era has seen it smash social standards, riot and fight to revolutionize every aspect of music, art, government and civil society. 
But after punk was plasticized and hip-hop lost its impetus for social change, all of the formerly dominant streams of counterculture have merged together. Now, one mutating, transatlantic melting pot of styles, tastes, and behavior has come to define the generally indefinable idea of the hipster. An artificial appropriation of different styles from different eras, the hipster represents the end of Western civilization. A culture lost in the superficiality of its past and unable to create any new meaning. Not only is it unsustainable, it is suicidal. While previous youth movements have challenged the dysfunction and decadence of their elders, today we have the hipster, a youth subculture that mirrors the doomed shallowness of mainstream society. Take a stroll down the street in any major North American or European city and you'll be sure to see a speckle of fashion-conscious 20-somethings hanging about and sporting a number of predictable stylistic trademarks. Skinny jeans, cotton spandex leggings, fixed gear bikes, vintage flannel, fake eyeglasses, and a kefir. Initially sported by Jewish students and Western protesters to express solidarity with Palestinians, the kefir has become a completely meaningless, hipster cliche fashion accessory. The American apparel v-neck shirt blue ribbon beer and parliament cigarettes are symbols and icons of working or revolutionary classes that have been appropriated by hipsterdom and drained of meaning. Ten years ago, a man wearing a plain v-neck tee and drinking a toast would never be accused of being a trend follower. But in 2008, such things had become shameless cliches of a class of individuals that seek to escape their own wealth and privilege by immersing themselves in the aesthetic of the working class. This obsession with street cred reaches its apex of absurdity as hipsters have recently and wholeheartedly adopted the fixed gear bike as the only acceptable form of transportation only to have brakes installed on a piece of machinery that is defined by its lack thereof. Lovers of apathy and irony, hipsters are connected through a global network of blogs and shops that push forth a global vision of fashion-informed aesthetics. Loosely associated with some form of creative output, they attend art parties, take lo-fi pictures with analog cameras, ride their bikes to nightclubs, and sweat it up at nouveau disco coke parties. The hipster tends to religiously blog about their daily exploits, usually while leafing through generation-defining magazines like Vice, another magazine, and Wallpaper. This cursory and stylized lifestyle has made the hipster almost universally loathed. These hipster zombies are the idols of the style pages, the darlings of viral marketers, and the marks of predatory real estate agents, wrote Christian Lawrenson in a Time Out New York article entitled Why the Hipster Must Die. And they must be buried for cool to be reborn. With nothing to defend, uphold, or even embrace, the idea of hipsterdom is left wide open for attack. And yet, it is this ironic lack of authenticity that has allowed hipsterdom to grow into a global phenomenon that is set to consume the very core of Western counterculture. 
Most critics make a point of attacking the hipster's lack of individuality, but it is this stubborn obfuscation that distinguishes them from their predecessors, while allowing hipsterdom to easily blend in and mutate other social movements, subcultures, and lifestyles. Standing outside an art party next to a neat row of locked-up fixed-gear bikes, I come across a couple girls who exemplify hipster homogeneity. I ask one of the girls if her being at an art party and wearing fake eyeglasses, leggings, and a flannel shirt makes her a hipster. I'm not comfortable with that term, she replies. Her friend adds, with just a flicker of menace in her eyes, Yeah... I don't know. You shouldn't use that word. It's just... Offensive? No, it's just... Well, if you don't know why, then you just shouldn't even use it. Okay, so what are you girls doing tonight after this party? Um... We're going to the after party. Gavin McInnes, one of the founders of Vice, who recently left the magazine is considered to be one of hipsterdom's primary architects. But in contrast to the majority of concerned media types, McInnes, whose do's and don'ts commentary defined the rules of hipster fashion for over a decade, is more critical of those doing the criticizing. I've always found that word, hipster, is used with such disdain, like it's always used by chubby bloggers who aren't getting laid anymore and are bored, and they're just so mad at these young kids for going out and getting wasted and having fun and being fashionable, he says. I'm dubious of these hypotheses because they always smell of an agenda. Punks wear their tattered threads and studded leather jackets with honor, priding themselves on their innovative and cheap methods of self-expression and rebellion. B-boys and B-girls announce themselves to anyone within earshot with baggy gear and boomboxes. But it is rare, if not impossible, to find an individual who will proclaim themselves a proud hipster. It's an odd dance of self-identity, adamantly denying your existence while wearing clearly defined symbols that proclaims it. He's 17 and he lives for the scene. A girl whispers in my ear as I sneak a photo of a young kid dancing up against a wall in a dimly lit corner of the after-party. He's got a flipped-out, do-it-yourself haircut, skin-tight jeans, leather jacket, a vintage punk tee, and some popping high tops. Shoot me, he demands, walking up, cigarette in mouth, striking a pose and exhaling. He hits a few different angles with a firmly unimpressed expression and then gets a bit giddy when I show him the results. Rad, thanks, he says, refocusing on the music and submerging himself back into the sweaty funk of the crowd, where he resumes a jittery head bobble with a little bit of a twitch. The dance floor at a hipster party looks like it should be surrounded by quotation marks. While punk... Disco and hip-hop all had immersive, intimate, and energetic dance styles that liberated the dancer from his, her, mental states. Be it the head-spinning b-boy or violent thrashings of a live punk show, the hipster has more of a joke dance, a faux-shrug-shuffle that mocks the very idea of dancing or, at its best, illustrates a non-committal fear of expression, typified in a weird, twitch-ironic twist. 
The dancers are too self-aware to let themselves feel any form of liberation. They shuffle along, shrugging themselves into oblivion. Perhaps the true motivation behind this deliberate nonchalance is an attempt to attract the attention of the ever-present party photographers who swim through the crowd like neon sharks flashing little blasts of phosphorescent ecstasy whenever they spot someone worth momentarily immortalizing. Noticing a few flickers of light splash out from the club bathroom, I peep in only to find one such photographer taking part in an impromptu softcore porno shoot. Two girls and a guy are taking off their clothes and striking poses for a set of grimy glamour shots. It's all grins and smirks, until another girl pokes her head inside and screeches, You're not some club kid in New York in the 90s? This shit is so hipster. Which sparks a bit of a catfight, causing me to beat a hasty retreat. In many ways, the lifestyle promoted by hipsterdom is highly ritualized. Many of the partygoers who are subject to the photoblogger snapshots no doubt crawl out of bed the next afternoon and immediately re-experience the previous night's debauchery. Red-eyed and bleary, they sit hunched over their laptops, wading through a sea of similarity to find their own momentarily thrilling instant of perfected hipsterness. What they may or may not know is that cool hunters will also be skulking the same sites, taking note of how they dress and what they consume. These marketers and party promoters get paid to co-opt youth culture and then resell it back at a profit. In the end, hipsters are sold what they think they invent and are spoon-fed their pre-packaged cultural livelihood. Hipsterdom is the first counterculture to be born under the advertising industry's microscope, leaving it open to constant manipulation but also forcing its participants to continually shift their interests and affiliations. Less a subculture, the hipster is a consumer group, using their capital to purchase empty authenticity and rebellion. But the moment a trend, band, sound, style, or feeling gains too much exposure, it is suddenly looked upon with disdain. Hipsters cannot afford to maintain any cultural loyalties or affiliations for fear they will lose relevance. An amalgamation of its own history, the youth of the West are left with consuming cool rather than creating it. The cultural zeitgeists of the past have always been sparked by furious indignation and are reactionary movements. But the hipster's self-involved and isolated maintenance does nothing to feed cultural evolution. Western civilization's well has run dry. The only way to avoid hitting the colossus of societal failure that looms over the horizon is for the kids to abandon this vain existence and start over. If you don't give a damn, we don't give a fuck, chants an MC before his incitements are abruptly cut short when the power plug is pulled and the lights snapped on. Dawn breaks, and the last of the after-after parties begin to spill into the streets. The hipsters are falling out, rubbing their eyes and scanning the surrounding landscape for the way back from which they came. 
Some hop on their fixed gear bikes, some call for cabs, while a few of us hop a fence and cut through the industrial wasteland of a nearby condo development. The half-built condos tower above us like foreboding monoliths of our yuppie futures. I take a look at one of the girls wearing a bright pink kefir and carrying a Polaroid camera and think, if only we carried rocks instead of cameras, we'd look like revolutionaries. But instead, we ignore the weapons that lie at our feet, oblivious to our own impending demise. We are a lost generation, desperately clinging to anything that feels real, but too afraid to become it ourselves. We are a defeated generation, resigned to the hypocrisy of those before us who once sang songs of rebellion and now sell them back to us. We are the last generation, a culmination of all previous things destroyed by the vapidity that surrounds us. The hipster represents the end of Western civilization, a culture so detached and disconnected that it has stopped giving birth to anything new. Charms of you. 
besides me here beneath the blue My dream of love is coming true Within a desert caravan
tears me up on the inside. SMC offers a complete program. You hear things, you see things, and you're looking at people. The ones you see are not the ones that are telling you the things you hear.
can develop in the face of such externally forced repetition. The point of these exercises is to make you more aware of the repetition processes occurring in your body, in your mind, in your feeling, and in your relationships with others. How you avoid achieving your goals by re repetitive methods. How your relationships with others repeat. How you use them in the service of these blindly repeating patterns. How your capacity for repetition apparently is infinite. How your orientation is not aware of these repeating patterns, and how a large number of these must be eliminated from your function. How you must assimilate more open-ended.
myself Cause I've got a channel A channel for pain
Thank you. 
Welcome to a new kind of listening experience. If you have not already done so, please read the instructions on the back of the record jacket before continuing. In our first series of demonstrations on getting through, we hope to show those of you with normal or near-normal hearing just what the hard of hearing really experience as they attempt to follow and understand ordinary, everyday conversation. By the use of electronic filters and other methods, we will simulate the sound of speech as it might actually be heard by those with various types of hearing loss. We will, in effect, be giving you the ears of that friend or member of your family who has a hearing problem. By experiencing these hearing difficulties yourself, you may find new insight and greater understanding for the very real problems, the frustrations and emotional strain which the hearing handicapped undergo in day-to-day living and, in fact, in just getting along with people. By this time, you should have adjusted the volume of your phonograph or record player to a comfortable listening level for those with normal hearing and set the tone controls as instructed on the jacket. As far as practical, all of the people listening should be seated approximately six to eight feet from the speaker. If you have not completed the adjustments, replay this band until you have done so. Remember, once the volume control is set, do not readjust. It is important that the sound remain the same as you listen to the demonstration material
think you can see me better than I can see you. Looking out that way, the light kind of cuts your faces away, you know. But it's shining for me. <laughs> always the hardest part.
like other boys and girls why do we have to walk in the subway tunnel just keep walking Ambrose when you grow up why don't you be a doctor you don't want to be a doctor you want to be a disc jockey oh Ambrose you can't spend the rest of your life avoiding responsibilities. Ambrose, how many times have you been in love? Can't you ever be serious? Just keep walking. Ambrose, if I gave you my picture, would you carry it in your wallet? Well, if I gave you a wallet, would you? I'll put some money in it. What do you mean, how much? Honest, Ambrose, it's not that I didn't want to have the party at my house. I couldn't. My mommy wouldn't let me. She's ashamed. We haven't got a colored telephone. Ambrose, what was that? Oh, Ambrose, I've asked you a million times. Why do we have to walk in a subway tunnel? Just keep walking. Ambrose, me better if I peroxide my hair like Eloise? Eloise. Eloise. You know Eloise. Your mother. You wouldn't like me peroxide. Just keep walking. Ambrose. Ambrose. Just think.
Nothing is true and all is allowed was the groundwork of the secret doctrine. With the help of God, the ruler of the world loosened the bands of the law. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. Is paradise anything but the pleasures of this present life? Or the pains of hell, anything but the tiresome fatigue which the followers of the religions have to endure in the form of prayer, fast, holy war, and pilgrimage. Know that I have delivered you by this letter of mine from your chains and freed you from your bonds. Whatever is forbidden for the perverted world becomes lawful for you and for those of your degree. I address myself to you with the same words that have been addressed to Muhammad when he reached your position. Today, you are allowed to eat the good things and the food of these who have been given the book is allowable for you. When the believer reaches the highest degree of faith, he is dispensed from the religious practices. No more fasts for him, no prayers, no pilgrimage, no jihad, no food, drink, dress or woman whatsoever is forbidden to him. You and your brethren are the heirs that inherit paradise. In this world, however, you inherit its pleasures and enjoyments that are forbidden to the ignorant, that cling to the religions of the lawgivers. You are to be congratulated that you are no longer bothered with their religions. Whoever reaches this stage has acquired the keys of heaven and earth, found the philosopher's stone and is in the possession of the great metric. He is dwelling in paradise, drinking the fountain of love.
ψέματα Όλοι ζούμε στο πιο όνειρο Σε μια σπουδά Από σκιές
they look like. Here, what the here, what the what range ones, odd ones from all over the world, over the 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 over
für einen Atemzug. Singe den Sonnengesang.
It may shock you, but it's all part of the... She is an enemy. No, it doesn't matter. I wasn't intending to even say the title. I'm just telling myself. All beauty is our enemy. How about that? What on earth could we mean? Well, children, do sit down and listen. And I'll explain. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Ah, my friends. These are needfully sadistic times. Pettiness rules each day. And blatant corruption is emblazoned in the highest places. Corruption is seen as quite forgivably virtuous. The charmed live empty lives and the replete live charmingly. You're going to have to concentrate or you won't understand anything I'm saying. So do please refer to your dictionaries and remember that cynicism is always the way of the truth. And certainly, if one has a parent, you understand what I'm saying. Is this not all dreadfully appropriate? Brutally entertaining? In those mythical quagmires of morbid ocean so long ago, I would sooner concur that it was a molecular ugliness that parasitized carbon and gained pretension.
find our way back to the light to, to escape the ugly demons So it's we could be hideous in the next century of our games Balls are coming, balls are coming, balls are coming yeah.